Greeting viewers, this is Misbah Azam on New Wave Global. This is Naya Dor's English channel and you have already been watching it in which Raza Rumi, he has different shows on different topics. Today I have a very distinguished guest who is uh, no stranger for us. He is our friend. He is uh, a very well-known expert on national security, foreign policy specialist at uh, University of Ottawa. Uh, besides that, he is a senior director of Eurasian Society and Prosperity Portfolio at New Lines Institute. Uh, I am here to discuss with him a very general impression he is taking about the changing scenarios in different parts of the world, especially Middle East. Like four or five years ago, I don't remember, I had a chat with uh, Pakistan's uh, one very renowned environmentalist and a professor at the Boston University, Dr. Adil Najim. And I asked him a simple question, that how he see the world now? His response was that he feels as if he is living in 1913, just before the World War I, when Russia was boiling for the new change there. Nobody knows who is ally, who is enemy, who is foe. So over the years, I've been using this answer in my writings and in when I have a discussions and I give this reference and I feel that he is not wrong about it. That is the way things are going. There's so much uncertainty. Uh, let me go to my friend Dr. Kamran Bukhari. Dr. Bukhari, please explain what is happening in the Middle East? Oh, thank you, Dr. Misbah. Um, so, look, um, there are many ways to look at it, but uh, the the I think the most useful way of looking at what's happening in the Middle East is strategically. Look, Hamas isn't. Um, an actor that can operate on its own. And we know that the Arab states uh, do not support it. On the contrary, you have uh, the Arab states deeply opposed to Hamas, uh, a clear majority of them. So there may be like Qatar that has close ties with them, uh, but beyond Qatar, and, and it's more diplomatic and it's more, uh, if you will, uh, above the board, if you will. So they openly have uh, Hamas leaders housed in Doha, in, in, in the Qatari capital. They provide financial assistance, but that's more of a humanitarian kind of thing uh, for the Gaza Strip. Uh, so, so if we leave that aside, you look at the Arab world and you see every single actor, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, UAE, 
these are the states, uh, and I'm not going to include Syria in it because I think Syria has become a vassal state of Iran. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad, uh, isn't really a, a head of state anymore because of, the, you know, the devastation during the civil war of the country. He's survived, but he has survived uh, in a way where he is extremely dependent on Iran uh, and Russia. And uh, to me, he's like a warlord. So, you know, I'm not going to include him in this list. But if you, if you look at these major players that I talked about, they're all opposed to Hamas because Hamas's agenda uh, is, is at odds with the agenda of these states. These states uh, do not wish to alter the fabric, the security fabric, the security architecture of the region. Which state wants to do that? Uh, and it's very clear that that's Iran. Iran is a revisionist state. And its revisionist agenda suits Hamas because Hamas cannot achieve what it wants, which is it is you know it wants to destroy Israel, and it wants to create uh, not a Palestinian national entity but an Islamist Palestinian entity. It's almost like, and you're you know uh, many of your Pakistani viewers and Indian viewers would probably understand what I'm trying to say here is, it's as if uh, you know, uh, we say that in Pakistan that, uh, you know, the TLP or the TTP uh, are fighting for Pakistan. Mm. Uh, they're not fighting for Pakistan. They're fighting to subvert Pakistan. So while Pakistan is still a state, but in the case of Hamas, Hamas is subverting uh, the uh, Palestinian a legitimate Palestinian national struggle for its own purposes. So mm -hmm. there's a convergence of interest here. And through Hamas and through Hezbollah and other proxies in the region, the uh, Iranian regime is essentially cornering the Arab states. Because if you look at the behavior of the Arab states, they're very defensive right now. They have no solution for the problem. And the and and Hamas keeps uh, uh, Iran through Hamas keeps pushing them, and they keep falling back, and they play on the turf that Iran prepares. Mm -hmm. So so that's sort of the strategic picture here. So in other words, anybody who thinks that Hamas is you know its actions are going to bring the Palestinian people closer to uh, you know self determination, they are deeply misguided. Because they do not understand that uh, they, there cannot be a Palestinian state in the foreseeable future because of many, many geopolitical factors, mm -hmm. part of which is that the Palestinians are divided. And then now the Israeli public is also divided over the two-state solution. Mm -hmm. uh, but what will happen is you won't, you won't get a Palestinian state anytime soon, but the existing Arab states, they're weakening, and this region unless there is some intervention on the part of the United States, unless Israel can you know, regain the initiative, unless the Turks can come out from sort of their uh, problems, uh, I don't think there's anything stopping Iran right now. I mean, <laughs> there are no arresters in Iran's path. So, uh, uh, Dr. Bukhari, then there, there is an issue a little bit here. Uh, so, uh, 
Granted, what you say, I I understand what what is uh, uh, what you just uh, explained. But problem is here. Do you think then that by going to, I mean, we know that that uh, it was a, a massacre in Israel. I mean, when Hamas came, I mean, they killed uh, innocent people. But uh, I mean, you can, you and I can argue, okay, Israel also did that time to time, but that does not justify that uh, one militia goes there and massacre innocent people who have nothing to do. But in response, which is like four or five times more. So in one sense, do you think that Israel is playing in the, and United States and Britain, playing in the hand of uh, Iran, Hamas, uh, some kind of uh, nexus, if you will? Oh yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> Uh, the, the it's like a trap. It, it, it's 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 a trap set by Iran and its allies, because think about it: states that seek stability, states that seek to preserve, you know, uh, the the broader order, okay, or reform it, okay, uh, are always going to be playing defense. Whereas those states that are revisionists, that want to alter the existing order, they will be very aggressive in their actions. And we see Iran for decades now, very aggressive, pushing into the Arab world. So yes, I mean, they look, when Hamas pulled off the October 7 attack, it knew exactly what was going to happen. Okay. Maybe they didn't know the level of, you know, uh, uh, carnage that they would be able to commit. Uh, but they knew that they're doing something that they've not done before. And it will trigger a massive response from the Israelis. There's no way any Israeli government, however hawkish or moderate or whatever it is, irrespective of who's prime minister and what political party or what coalition is ruling Israel, they, there's no way that they can say, oh, well, it happened and then we won't retaliate. And I'm saying Iran and Hamas want Israel to retaliate because it creates the conditions in which they can advance their cause. Mm -hmm. So, yes, to answer your question, it's a trap. And for Israel to go in, it's a conundrum. Neither can you not go in and neither can you go in and when actually when you go in, you will uh, uh, you know cause the deaths of countless Palestinian innocent Palestinians, uh, and you will then basically inadvertently advance the agenda of Iran and Hamas. It's a conundrum. It is a massive strategic conundrum, and there is no good solution for it. Hmm. So uh, then uh, it, it brings me to this question to you, Dr. Bukhari, that how Israel, so well-organized intelligence, so well-organized, uh, you know, security apparatus, everything, what happened? How they let these people go in, go on a rampage for hours, how it happened? Well, and who, who should be responsible for that? 
Israelis wouldn't ask this question very soon? Oh, they're already asking. They're blaming Netanyahu. I mean, the polls that we've seen since this attack suggest that an overwhelming number of Israelis are blaming uh, Netanyahu for this. Uh, and so it clearly happened on his watch. There was clearly a massive intelligence failure. Um, and prior to that, he was engaged in dividing Israel. You know, not, it, it wasn't an issue of Israeli versus Palestinian or Israel versus Hamas. It was he was pitting Israel uh, Israelis against Israelis because of his efforts to quote overhaul, uh, reform the judiciary, which was basically a way <laughs> for him to protect yeah, himself yeah. from any prosecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, his alignment with clearly far right extremist groups, um, and I mean these are the 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 the, the, the people who are in his cabinet. Uh, share the thinking of those who were behind the assassination of former Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin after he signed the Oslo Accords with Yasser Arafat. Uh, these are the same people who, uh, you know, are, uh, uh, you know, what we call far right. And so all of this isn't something that affected only the Israeli public. It also affected the IDF. And so if you have this kind of chaos in in the country and your intelligence and security services are stretched because, uh, you know, Israel is focused on Iran, its nuclear program, it's, you know, uh, penetrating Iran's, uh, you know, internally uh, with the uh, elimination of so many nuclear scientists. With the uh, you know the the uh, uh, damage to nuclear facilities inside Iran, so you have the, you have the Israeli security establishment focusing on that. You have the Israeli security establishment making sure that because Assad is now a vassal of the Iranians, that the Iranians aren't able to do as they please in Syria, which is on the northern border of of Israel. So you have to interdict you know uh, any movement by Iranian forces or allied forces. Then you have Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, You're worried about the West Bank because President Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority is 87. And And so much corruption and all that, you know. Corruption, you know, um, and and the fact that he's unpopular, uh, the fact that uh, there are so many divisions within the PA uh, and and the ruling Fatah party uh, and the broader PLO movement, so there's just so much on their plate. So uh, so there's that's one cause. The other cause is there's no intelligence service in the world that can operate on in a red alert mode indefinitely. You know, twenty four seven, three sixty five. So somewhere you drop the ball. Uh, then. You, there is the phenomenon of falling in love with your analysis. Um, so it's not like they didn't have intel. Hmm. I'm sure when the investigation is complete, we will find out that there were signs that this was about to happen. We're already hearing from the Egyptians. Hmm. They passed on some information. That's true. That's true. That they passed on information. How it was received. Hmm. We just don't know yet. Uh, but, I, you know, my experience tells me that there will be they will be a determination that we had the intelligence 
mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't analyze it properly. Mm-hmm. And so, so there, there are many reasons for why this happened. Uh, and let's face it, you know, uh, a small group uh, that is, you know, has is more agile, mm-hmm. is more likely to be able to find loopholes in a, in an entity that's far bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and therefore exploit those vulnerabilities and 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 you know conduct these kind of operations. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know it, it's surprising, but the thing that I'm surprised about is not that they attacked. I'm surprised about the the uh, massive, uh, if you will, spike in tradecraft. Because mm-hmm. keep in mind, Hamas since 2008 for 15 years. Yeah. Its MO is rocket attacks. Yeah, uh, this was a sophisticated operation, and then training for it and preparing for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is a huge logistical undertaking, and so doing that while not being detected—that's the surprise. Because uh, intelligence agencies make mistakes, even the best ones. Uh, but the fact that they did not allow themselves to be detected. Uh, that is a tradecraft that we've not seen from Hamas. That's true. So someone helped them. Mm -hmm. uh, Well, that's true. But uh, the question then comes that, you know, like after all this retaliation uh, of Israel, don't you see it that this problem is which was slowly moving towards some solution, uh, you know, having good relations between Arab countries and uh, Israel. And of course, once that would happen, then more uh, ways open for Palestinians also, and then things would get better and better over time. But now, now with this type of retaliation, uh, do you really see any hope or... Uh, you know, like these, uh, how how it's how it's gonna play in uh, coming days. So uh, let's just say that for now and for you know the foreseeable future, uh, the kind of settlement that um, the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was trying to achieve with Israel is going to be uh, extremely difficult. Uh, but you know, you, you, one should never say never. Uh, and the reason I say that is uh, there is a, uh, and you won't see them saying this publicly, but there is a convergence of interest. There's a shared interest between the Arab states mm-hmm. and Israel to make sure that uh, you know Hamas does not continue to rule Gaza. Now, I'm not saying that they'll be successful in toppling their government. That's a different story. But I'm telling you what their imperative is. Um, and they also have an imperative, a shared imperative, to make sure that uh, Iran cannot continue to exploit uh, the situation. And so now let's get to the let's get to the part where, well, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, there is just no way, uh, I will repeat this, that uh, any Israeli government, uh, will say, well, you know, we're not going to do something. Uh, we're not going to retaliate or we're not going to respond to this because A, uh, it creates a political crisis in Israel. Uh, B, 
uh, it sends the wrong message to the other side that uh, basically uh, Hamas can do whatever it wants and Iran can do whatever it wants because Israel will not uh, respond because it's fearful of, uh, you know, uh, killing civilians. Hmm. The Iranians and Hamas, uh, you know, are using Palestinians as cannon fodder uh, and, and, and for their agenda. So it's, again, a very difficult situation. There's, I just don't see them, you know, saying we can't. But then the question is, how do you do, this is like, uh, you know, um, you know, a, a very, very, uh, how do you do surgery? You know, this is like a difficult surgery. How do you remove Hamas and make sure that innocent uh, Palestinian civilian lives are not lost, or at least, you know, they're kept to a minimum. Hmm. And part of the reason why is that Hamas uh, operates, Hamas's MO is to operate in uh, population centers. I mean, this is well known. Where are they firing these rockets from? Is it some, like some military base that they mm -hmm. have? Or, I mean, neither do they just limit their attacks on Israeli military targets, nor do they themselves distinguish their areas of operation from population centers. So if you're Israel, what do you do? Mm -hmm. It's, it's an extremely difficult situation. And one can only realize this if one sort of, uh, you know, contains the emotions. So, you know, whether you're Israeli or whether you're pro-Israeli or pro-Palestinian, you have to set those emotions aside in order to understand just the sheer magnitude of the crisis and the magnitude of the conundrum. That's true. End of the day, we want all the innocent Palestinians, innocent Israelis are all safe and sound. I mean, they are just in the crossfire between um, uh, two factions, which is going on for ages now. And uh, that has to be uh, uh, that has to be concluded in peaceful way, which I don't see anything happening in coming months or even coming years. Just last question, uh, Dr. Bukhari. With whatever happening there in uh, uh, Palestinians, uh, between Palestinian and Israelis, I mean, it is now going up or going down, only time will tell. How you see the whole world, because see every capital in the West, in the East, in the Arab countries was shaken by this, uh, uh, this incidents uh, happening there. How you see it, it will impact in coming days on the world peace in general. So look, uh, you know, be because of this attack, and because of this crisis in the Middle East, um, the Ukraine war has fallen off the media radar. You know, not that it's not going on; it is, and that is the the, the main war. This is a, uh, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, just sort of uh, scope. This is still a limited, you know. Hopefully, this is still a limited uh, conflict. Uh, Ukraine is a much bigger conflict because Russia cannot allow NATO to be in Ukraine and NATO in the United States cannot allow Russia to be in Ukraine because uh, 
then there's sort of you're only so many miles from you know uh, uh, Poland, uh, which is a NATO member state. So uh, that's the real war. That was what the world was focused on, at least the United States and its allies. Uh, and now they're having to deal with this. And I think that you know this is uh, this works well for the agenda of Putin. Uh, the Chinese. Uh, are probably, actually not probably, but very likely, most likely, I would even say, you know, definitively are taking comfort from the fact that the United States has its hands full with another crisis. Um, and, and they wish to exploit this mm. and are exploiting it. Uh, so this isn't something just happening between Gaza and, and mm. uh, Israel or Israel and Hamas or Israeli Palestinians or mm. Arabs and Israelis. Uh, this thing is has implications uh, for broader international security because of the way it's uh, the stakeholders, the various stakeholders, uh, are able to to exploit the situation to their advantage, or, or at least try to. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're in a in a very precarious state. I mean, yeah. I I can see, uh, you know, Putin. Uh, basically telegraphing the Biden White House that, look, um, looks like you have another war on your hands. And, uh, you know, we can be helpful. You can't talk to Hamas and you can't talk to Iran. Uh, we can, mm. um, but it's not going to be for free. In exchange, we want you to do a quid pro quo on, on Ukraine mm. and get Zelensky to accept the fact that we're not going to return the territories that we have. Hmm. So, so we have a settlement. Uh, so, Dr. Bukhari, we, we are already running out of time, but just in one minute, am I hearing from you that this all conflict has some, has some sort of Russian involvement also, and now they are going to play their cards by blackmailing the United States and uh, Britain and say they stay away from the thing and uh, let us do whatever and then in the in return we will have Hamas and Iran pull back is it uh, is it some scenario you are trying to tell me please so yes and no uh, uh, they're definitely exploiting it uh, but I don't think that Russia uh, was involved uh, in uh, in the attack that Hamas pulled off because uh, Russia has close ties with Israel and Russia doesn't want to mess that up. Um, so, but it doesn't have to be involved to benefit from it, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, a, it's ally Iran is quite capable of pulling off such attacks, <laughs> supporting, you know, enabling such attacks. And whatever Iran does, uh, works to the benefit of Russia. So in other words, I don't think the Russians uh, were involved, and uh, but they don't have to be involved. All they need to know is that there is uh, a uh, an opportunity to exploit. Mm. You know, if I had to be facetious and cynical, um, I can see Putin telling his friends in Iran that, hey guys, you know, Thanks. We we could uh, we could use a, a, a crisis in the Middle East right about now, mm -hmm. and the Iranians probably said, 
well, let's see what we can do about it. And so, so it's a it's a complicated situation. So there's, I hesitate to say that the Kremlin is involved, hmm. but is the Kremlin going to milk it? Absolutely. For Absolutely, they will do that. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Bukhari. So, viewers, you heard uh, Dr. Bukhari's uh, comments on that, and please uh, keep watching Nayador and uh, New Wave Global. We will be bringing you more experts like uh, Dr. Bukhari, and we will be talking, uh, and Dr. Bukhari will agree with me on this issue coming days a lot. I mean, this is issue which is not going to go away very soon. Uh, so uh, that ends our today's discussion. And uh, until next time, uh, Ms. Bazam and Dr. Kamran Bukhari are signing off. Thank you and good day.